coordinated enough to sit on the bench and still talk and not worry about falling off. So, how's everybody surviving the heat? Oh, Gia wanted me to tell everybody if you do want to order the book, she has a sign up sheet. There's a sign up sheet in the back table. Okay. So, so um, coincidentally, we're talking about waiting, which is what the song was about. And I um, always find it interesting that the topics you end up teaching about are the ones you really need to learn. You know? So <laughs> I think that's interesting. <laughs> we shared that. <laughs> so what, what is waiting? I looked up the definition because I always like to start there. So. One of the definitions of wait is to stay in a place until an expected event happens, until someone arrives, or until it's your turn to do something. But the one I liked was to remain in a state in which you expect or hope that something will happen soon. So if you've all gone home and looked through your, your books and done your homework, you've seen the prayer wheel that talks about all the different um, dimensions of prayer that the author suggests that, that we incorporate into our prayer life. And in looking at most of them, you think, yeah, that's good, intercession, praise, thankfulness, petition. And then you get to wait, waiting. And I, I had to ask myself, what does waiting have to do with time spent in prayer? Seems kind of unproductive. <laughs> so what is waiting in prayer? Because, you know, we're told in Hebrews 8, 6 to boldly come before the throne of gracious God that you will receive his mercy and that you will find grace to help us when we need it most. To boldly come. We're told, you know, all the time I was growing up, I used to hear all these little sayings about prayer. It would be um, to storm the gates of heaven, you know. Everybody's been in church a long, long time has heard that. Maybe it's an old one. But uh, to press into God with prayer. There have been books written about active prayer. And they're all legitimate avenues of prayer and, and to go to God and to seek him in prayer. So I ask again, what does waiting, where does waiting come in? And what I always ask myself when I'm not sure about it, something is, what does that look like to me? What does it look like if I'm learning to be waiting in prayer? Because to know it up in my head or know its definition, or know it fits in the wheel, doesn't tell me how it works or what it's for. So that's what we're going to talk about. When David was troubled by his enemies and needing deliverance, he wrote in Psalms 38, 14, I choose to hear nothing, and I make no reply, for I am waiting for you, O Lord. In Psalms 69:33, he writes, I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Have you ever felt like that at a time in your life? I think we all have. In Psalms 136, it says, My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, even more than those who watch for the morning. That we wait for the Lord. So in, um, in the book, in chapter 2 of the book that uh, Dick Eastman wrote, he says, to be complete, prayer needs an early significant dose of spiritual silence. You know, and you say, what is spiritual silence? 
How do we calm ourselves? And we talk about waiting on the Lord. I think it's really a lot better to say we should wait before the Lord. I think that's what we're really talking about. When I started the study in this area, I, as I always do, my brain starts turning and I approached it thinking I knew exactly what waiting on the Lord meant and um, how I was going to develop this. And then the Holy Spirit changed my mind, I think, because I get into it and it never works out that way. But I understood. I approached it thinking I knew that when I'm waiting before the Lord, I'm, I'm supposed to be listening so he can talk to me. And that's not what we're talking about. Listening comes into it. But there's a component of just waiting before him. And our lesson tells us it's important to understand that a time of waiting isn't necessarily a time of listening. It's a time to be still and to be silent. And actually in our society, being silent with nothing to do is scary. Because nobody knows how to do that. I don't even mean just a lack of noise, but a lack of things to fill all the space. We usually fill all of them. We have cell phones, and we plan things in our mind, and we're sitting still, and we're thinking about what we're going to do, and what am I going to make for dinner, and you know, what am I going to say to this person, and all these things go through our heads. We feel the need to fill every waking moment with some type of sound or activity. We have radios. We have smartphones. We have iPads and iPods. We play games on all those things. We text, we talk, we do everything. All you hear is beeps and swirls, and we seem to need to fill the silence. I was walking my dog about um, two weeks ago before it got so insanely hot that neither of us are walking right now. But, um, and I was coming down Beach Boulevard, because I don't live very far from there, and I was coming down a little bit south of Knox Ferry Farm, and there were still a lot of tourists in the area, and I walked by this one area that had a bus stop, and, and I wasn't even studying this yet particularly and I just happened to look over and everybody was waiting for a bus there were probably like 10 people they all had their phone in their hand and they were all doing this or this and and I looked at them I thought nobody's saying hi do you have a good day what are you doing here you on vacation you know, <laughs> they're all just they cross the street texting so you know we feel the need to never be still and silent our lives are full of distractions, one of the main reasons that we need to learn to be still before the Lord. Psalms 40, 8 to 11 reads, We come behold, <clears throat> come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That verse says so much about God. And to know it is one thing. To read it is one thing. But to really know it in our heart is something else. To know that it's God that we trust. He's our refuge. He can stop wars. He can bring nations to their knees. He can do it all. And what we need to do, the only part that mentions us in here, is be still and know that I am God. And I believe we only truly, fully achieve this level of recognition of who God is and what he can and will do in our situations is when we learn to be quiet and wait before him. 
Just wait in his presence. Now, Isaiah 40, 31 gives us a glimpse of what this time does for us. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. <coughs> they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is that what you want your life to look like, your spiritual life? To soar above the things, to, to be strong, to not be weary? The only way it tells us we achieve that is as those who wait upon the Lord. The author states that typically many believers are deceived by a spirit of selfishness that often follows them directly into the prayer closet. Waiting helps deal with that spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you think that's true? I thought about that when I read it because I think selfishness when I'm dealing with God, please. But then I thought, you know, we don't like to think that we're selfish in any area of our life, especially spiritually. But I would challenge you to do something I did this week. When you're spending your time in prayer, look at how much of your time is taken up on yourself. <laughs> and not just your spiritual growth, but material benefits on yourself or your immediate family. Look how much time you spend. Do you do, you do an equal amount in praise and worship and all that before you get to your own personal petitions? I thought it was kind of scary because, you know, when you really look at what you're praying for, a lot of them are material benefits, and they benefit mainly you <laughs> or people that are really close to you. Requests are not wrong because we're told to ask, but we're also told to wait. And I do one far better than I do the other one. And I was trying to think of an example to kind of demonstrate this quietness before God. And the only thing I could come up with is when my husband was alive and we were both working, we both had busy jobs. And he was a consultant in management, and he would be off somewhere doing his thing. And I was a manager for a utility company, and I think they paid me to go to meetings. But, you know, I was at meetings. I had people lined up outside my door. I was talking on the phone. And a lot of days, the best part of my day was to come home and share. We would sit down. We'd have a cup of coffee. We'd have a cold drink. We'd talk about our day. How'd your day go? What'd you do here? I have this problem. This one guy did this. And, and it was really fun. But some days when I left the office, I was, I'd used up all my words. I didn't want to talk anymore. <laughs> I was tired of talking. And, and with my husband being like most men, he didn't have a problem not talking. So <laughs> he was perfectly happy not to share. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I would go home those days, and I would say, I really don't feel like talking. And we'd still have our coffee, and we'd still have our cold drink, but we would just sit together, and we would just be with each other. And I thought about that, and I thought what we were really experiencing was love. He loved me enough to sit with me. Actually, it was probably harder when he had to listen to me the whole time. But, <laughs> but, but he loved me enough to sit with me, and, and we had love together. I loved him. He loved me. That's what it's like to wait before the Lord, to know the love of God, to feel it, to let yourself love God. This communion of two, to know that God is gracious and mighty and the creator, and he loves you. Because then you become intimate with your knowledge of God, and it means so much more. So this is one of the ways we wait before the Lord, to just be still and enter into his love. 
And I thought, well, some people have a hard time quieting their thoughts and their spirit and to be still. And so for people who have little shiny things that run through and you think about, um, try just, just telling God you love him instead of thinking about the next three things you want to do. Tell him you know how great he is, how gracious he is, and just calm yourself. So that's one of the ways we wait before God. Now, there's another big way we wait with prayer, and I want to discuss the other waiting in dealing with prayer, waiting for an answer. <laughs> so you've prayed, and you've gone before God, and, and you feel that you've been confirmed in your spirit that God's going to do this. You've prayed in accordance with his word, and then you wait. And that's the other part of waiting. Waiting for God's answer and God's timing is almost harder than waiting quietly before him. To be patient. In your homework this week, you'll be reading two examples of people who waited for answers and for prayers. And I'm just going to tell them to you. We're not going to read them. But the first one is 1 Kings 18, 21 to um, 30. And it's about Elijah. Elijah confronted the people of Israel because the people of Israel had basically stopped serving Jehovah. They had totally just, they had other idols in their land. They were worshiping Baal, most of them. They were offering sacrifices to a foreign god. They had walked away from Jehovah, and Elijah was basically very annoyed. <laughs> and so he called the people together, and he said, okay, you guys are going to choose. You're going to choose right now. You're going to choose whether you're going to serve Baal or you're going to serve Jehovah, because you can't do both. So, you need to make a choice. And to enforce this moment, Elijah challenged the priests of Baal to a contest. We could call it a prayer off. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, he built an altar to Baal and he laid it out with wood. And he chose a bull to sacrifice. And, and then he said, you guys do this. I'll build an altar to Jehovah and I'll do it over here. You guys go first. So, Elijah, so they cried out. And from morning, they started in the morning, and they danced around the altar, and they cried to Baal, and they yelled to Baal, and they did all these things, and nothing happened. And Elijah started about noon taunting them, and he said, maybe you should cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went on vacation, you know? I mean, Baal's just not right there right now. So, so you know, maybe you guys should try something else. So they started cutting themselves, and they were bleeding. And, and they were still dancing, and they were wailing, and they were, you know, it was a mess. So Elijah waited till evening, and finally he cried out, and he told the people to come near him, and he repaired the altar of Jehovah. He cut up the bowl and put it on the altar. He poured water over it, and he poured more water over it until the whole moat around the altar was filled with water and everything was soaking wet. And then... At the regular time for evening sacrifice, Elijah approached the altar and he cried out to God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant. And he asked God to prove that he was the only God in Israel. And it said, immediately the sacrifice was consumed with fire and even the rocks burned. So you might say, well, that's not a good example of waiting because he got his answer immediately. But you know what? He didn't pray immediately. That's what fascinated me. He could have gone first. <laughs> he could have said, you know, I don't want to spend all day doing this. So 
We're going to set up the altars. We'll do it at the same time. You know, okay, go. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't do that. He waited. He watched. He just sat there. So I asked myself the question, why did Elijah wait so long to just have God demonstrate his power when he could have just done it, but instead he waited? And the answer to that question, I think, is actually in the form of a question. Would the reaction of the people been the same if they had not witnessed the events as they happened? God proved beyond all doubt that Baal had no power and that Jehovah was God of Israel. They had their chance. They had more than their chance. There was no doubting that Baal didn't answer and that God did immediately. But Elijah waited to pray. God's timing and our patience are extremely important when it comes to answered prayer. The next example in the homework is the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel. And it's in 1 Samuel 1. 1 to 11. And Elkanah was Hannah's husband. He also had another wife, Panana. I always have trouble with her name. Hannah had no children, but Panana had children. Every year they went up to the temple to sacrifice. And Elkanah gave portions to all of his, all his children and his other wife to sacrifice. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. And every year I am sure that Hannah prayed. She wanted a child, and she begged God for a child. The unanswered prayer even showed on her face because Elkanah asked her why she wept and did not eat. He tried to encourage her. He said, aren't I more important to you than ten sons? He said, you know, but Hannah wanted a child. So this one year they write about, they went up to do the sacrifice, and Hannah went into the temple and she prayed before the Lord with bitterness of soul. She cried out to him. And she made a vow that if he gave her a son, she would give him back to the Lord to be raised in the temple. Eli the priest thought she was drunk and approached her. But she said, no, no, sir, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I'm very discouraged and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. For I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And, and Eli said, oh, in that case, go in peace. May the Lord of Israel grant your request. And she said, oh, thank you, sir. And she went and she began to eat again. And she wasn't sad. Eli really hadn't said, God will answer your prayer. Or even, what are you praying about? <laughs> he was just mainly saying, okay, that's fine, go. And he hoped God would answer her. After this, Hannah became pregnant with Samuel, and he was born. She took him to the temple after he was weaned, and she gave him to God to be raised in the temple, and he worked with the priests. If you know the story of Samuel, you would know that he became the greatest judge of Israel. He was a great man of God. He was a mighty man of God. God spoke through him. Samuel brought the nation of Israel back to God, back to Jehovah. He tore down the high places of the other gods. He, he anointed Saul as king. He then rebuked him for evil and for sin, and he appointed David to take his place. God spoke to Samuel. God spoke through Samuel. Samuel changed the nation of Israel. So we have two questions. One, 
Did God answer Hannah's prayer because she made a deal with God? No. <laughs> it never works that way. It's impossible to negotiate with someone who has all the answers and all the power. One of the things I learned in business is that when you're dealing with somebody and you want to work a compromise through negotiations, um, you each have to have something the other one wants. And, you know, and, and if you're negotiating out of a position of no power at all, you're not going to win. So the person with all the power is going to win. So you can't deal with God. You can't make him a promise, if you do this, I'll do this, because it won't work. Because God has all the power. He has all the answers. Question two, why was this prayer answered when all the others weren't? I believe it's a matter of surrender and timing. If Samuel had been born in any other time, he would have been raised at home by his parents. He had not been physically given to God. Israel needed Samuel at exactly this time. The nation needed a leader to guide them back to true worship, to guide them to repentance. When we pray and don't hear from God instantly, or not in the manner that we're expecting, that we're praying for, do we get discouraged and even sometimes angry? If Hannah had stopped praying, had not finally come to a place where she was willing to give her heart's desire back to God, I think that Samuel wouldn't have been born in this way. Hannah, Hannah had to come to a place where she was willing to surrender her heart's desire. And after I'd already written this, um, my friend Joyce called me up on Saturday and said, oh, you've got to read Oswald Chambers, because it reminded her of a couple people we were both praying for. But it was on surrender. And I'm only going to read one little sentence, but it says, the greatest crisis we ever face is the surrender of our will. When we want something, and we want it, to surrender what we want, what our will is to God, is really hard. But that's what it takes. And I, w I would say that these questions were things that we could ponder and probably apply to our prayer life. Ask yourself these questions. Are you coming to God willing to accept his answer and to surrender what you want? to maybe what you need or what should happen? Because that's what waiting for the Lord is. It's waiting for his timing and his will. God had a plan then. He has a plan now. We need to keep praying, and we need to wait. We need to wait before him for his life-affirming love and grace to receive from him and to give to him love and devotion. We need to be sure that we are, are letting God know that we love him. Just not, you know, we know God loves us, but to experience that closeness. We also need to wait for his answer, to keep praying, keep believing, and trust in his perfect answer, even if it doesn't look like what I'm praying for. We need to learn to wait, first quietly before him, and then patiently for his answer. And I want to close with this scripture. It's Psalms 27, 13 to 15. And it's out of the Amplified. It says, what, what would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. 
Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for, hope for, and expect the Lord. Because when we pray with those, that criteria of knowing that God's going to answer what's best and that we wait for him, that we endure, that in his presence we get the strength we need to endure, then that's really what this is about. When you're doing your homework, apply these questions to the situations about something you're praying about. Are you really waiting to see what God's going to do? Are you really just wanting to God to do what you've asked him to do? Are you spending time before him in love and adoration? And I just think that when we practice silently waiting before God, it really does something. It, it, it grows us. It changes our prayer time. It won't even just change your prayer time. When you start to be able to do that, it'll change your life because that's what God wants. He wants communion with us, and he wants us to patiently wait for him. So thank you. <laughs>